CBS Fox Video presents a collector's preview. From Star Wars to Jedi, this stunning documentary takes you deep into the fascinating world created for the Star Wars trilogy. Action! Immerse yourself in the mind of George Lucas. Special effects are just a tool, means of telling a story. A special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. From storyboard to creature creation, from character development to the puppeteers who gave them life. Join George Lucas and friends for a delightful look at From Star Wars to Jedi. Hello in TV land. The fascinating saga behind the saga will make your video library complete. They're unlike anything in our galaxy. And now for our feature presentation. fans and moof milkers everywhere welcome to episode number 46 of blast points uh this is jason and gabe and i feel like we haven't really talked that there hasn't been new force awakens stuff in star wars news in a while but there was a little going on this week right yeah it's kind of weird to be back in force awakens mode now that there's a the relentless star wars train keeps chugging ahead with new stuff so it's kind of neat to have force awakens news again yeah, so that 3D Blu-ray thing is coming out really, really soon. All of last week, they were hyping it up with sampling little bits of the J.J. Abrams commentary, and there was a pretty neat deleted scene with Unkar Plutt, Ray, and Chewbacca. Hello, Ray. I'm going to make you pay for what you've done. I suggest kindly that you let go of me. And I suggest less kindly that you come with me. You have no idea the trouble you are in. Hey! I'm not afraid of you. Half a wiki isn't much. Most of the scene, right? I don't think anyone actually showed the climax, right? That you got to wait for the Blu-ray for that? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, which is probably going to be like five seconds long. But I kind of wish that was in the movie. Yeah, I was really kind of grooving on uh, unfinished Uncar plot face. Yeah, yeah, because there was the on-set suit and then the rough mix face of kind of CG and kind of... What's his face? <laughs> Simon Pegg? But Simon Pegg, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 60 portions. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cool scene, but it's like, it's the one scene that everybody kind of, like, if somebody said, 
Well, what deleted scenes haven't we seen yet? I mean, everybody kind of knew that part was in there. Yeah, since it was in the book, right? Yeah. And so it was kind of like I was hoping maybe something buck wild we didn't even know about. You know, like some crazy deleted scene. Red six, squad of fighters have broken through. Six squad fighters have broken through. We're starting our attack run on the main power tree. Repeat it, I didn't hear. We're starting our attack run on the main power tree. We're starting our track run on the main power tree. At first I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to buy it again. Cause I, and I was kind of mad cause I was hoping they, the rumor was true where there would be the, the three prequel three D's and that on one in one set. But the little clips of commentary from JJ, it's like, man, I think I'm going to have to pick it up just for the commentary. Yeah. It's like I'm a sucker for a star Wars commentary track. They're pretty good. I mean, there's the one there's the one with um, Kylo Ren and Han Solo on the catwalk. People have asked me if I think that Kylo Ren was just playing with him the whole time, if he meant to kill him from the beginning. And the truth is, I think that Kylo Ren in this moment is actually being uh, convinced to walk away from this. Snoke is, as Han says, using him. And I think that somewhere Ben knows this. You know it's true. But I think that he can't accept it deep down. He has gone too far. And that's pretty interesting, talking about how they had John Kasdan kind of mm-hmm. fi- finalize uh, how all that went down. We were working on this scene quite a bit, trying to find the right rhythm. And it was actually John Kasdan... Larry's son, who helped us with this, and I think really helped us get to a place where there was a lot of emotion, uh, but also this this sort of raw uncertainty of what was going to happen. I want to be free of this pain. So some of the other parts they released with commentary are when Ray and Finn first meet, and JJ was talking about how originally that those scenes played completely different, and she'd never heard of Luke Skywalker, and Finn admits right away that he used to be a First Order stormtrooper, and their whole relationship was very different in the beginning. That all came about during the, the movie's long reshoot period. Oh, say so wasn't some of that because they had time after Harrison Ford hurt his leg? Right. So they went in and changed stuff around. They, were, they released a bit of the commentary of the lightsaber fight in the woods. And the whole, like one of the best parts in the movie, the whole Ray closing her eyes with the force. You need a teacher. I can show you the ways of the force. That came about very late in the game, and that was when J.J. showed a rough cut of the movie to uh, Selma director Ava du- Duverde, to, and she suggested, why don't you put that part in there? That's something I wonder about with deleted scenes, if there's any footage they filmed before they made those story changes. Oh. Like if there's alternate takes of Ray and Finn meeting. and Because like, I think uh, J.J. talked some about that um, before, too, how they're their whole interaction was different in that whole scene. And I got the impression that it was stuff that they had filmed. Yeah. But I don't know if if they'll this close to the new 
trilogy coming out if they'll want to show stuff that drastically different. Or how much of like the, those old rumors with like the the resistance super weapon, the sledgehammer, and all that, if that all ever even existed or not? Yeah, I still think maybe there's a chance that that's going to show up in eight or nine, and that's why they held back on it. So there was a little bit of Rogue One stuff going on. So last week, um, some posters came out. Some like character posters for Rogue One. Yeah, those are really cool. I guess based on the theatrical poster with the uh, superimposed Death Star plans over the people's faces. Uh huh. What What was your favorite one of all the posters? Probably K two S O. Yeah, the one looks pretty cool too. Yeah, I kind of like the Bays and the Chirrut ones too, but I think K two was my favorite. The captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. He's, he just can't resist his little eyes. His little glowing eyes. I want more. I mean, I want, like, a senior photo-style picture of, like, K2 in a sweater with, like, a library behind him, you know? <laughs> yeah. He needs to hang out with the Vision. They, they shop at the same sweater store. <laughs> like, uh, or maybe, yeah, I'm waiting for the character posters of uh, with Moroff and Pow and... Bistan. Bistan and the Two Tubes brothers. Beef stick and... The Uncooler. Ah. A group photo of everyone together, like a JCPenney style, where they all have like, yeah. their arms around each other. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I guess it, she's not that huge of a part of the movie, but it wouldn't be cool to have a Mon Mothma one. That would be cool. I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I wonder how much the movie Mon Mothma is in. Hey, Mon! Hold on to your briefs. It's time for another episode of Hey, Mon! And even if she wasn't in the movie that much, it's like, I just want a Mon Mothma poster. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we've ever gotten that. No, there should be. You should be able to go into a store and buy a Mon Mothma poster. Maybe there'll be a, the 31-inch Mon Mothma figure. Maybe they'll make a, after it comes out and everyone's got Mon Mothma fever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Two-pack yeah. of bootleg Dodonna. Oh, giant Dodonna. Mm-hmm. Do you want a Dodonna? <laughs> Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Admiral Akbar, please. Yeah, I'm going to make a shirt that says, I want a Dodana. <laughs> Do or Dodana. <laughs> there is no There's try. No, no try. Last week came out the news that maybe Rogue One's runtime is two hours, 13 minutes, which is makes it just a teeny tiny bit shorter than Force Awakens. Yeah, but in the ballpark of the other seven films. So yeah. definitely, if that's true, um, is staying truer to a, the Star Wars film formula than possibly could have. Because, yeah, I was, you know, I think we talked about how Maybe tickets weren't on sale because the movie was still being edited and the theaters didn't know the runtime. And I kept thinking, man, that means maybe that's an, they're going to do a 90-minute Star Wars movie. Maybe it's going to be a three-hour Star Wars movie, like now that this is a standalone and doesn't have to kind of follow the conventions. But it seems like potentially it is staying truer to the formula. 
I'd be kind of bummed at a 90-minute Star Wars movie. I think I would be unless it was just like nonstop excitement for 90 minutes, you know? That's true. Because there's a lot of movies that I like that are 90 minutes. But, yeah, I mean, and it's not like we have to wait three years for a Star Wars movie now, too. That's true, yeah. You know, there could be a, this a short, sweet, you know, nonstop, action-packed Star Wars movie. If it is two hours and 13 minutes, tickets have got to be going on sale real soon. So I'm trying to think if there's a holiday or some thing happening that they would have it be tickets day, but not really. I can't see them waiting till Thanksgiving week or anything like that. No. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready to make it real. I'm ready to make a date with row one. Make it make it all make it all real. <laughs> pick out pick get a tuxedo, rent a tuxedo, get a corsage, the whole deal. Yeah, limousine. Yeah, rent a limo, make a dinner dinner reservation. Take some photos in the park beforehand. <laughs> Walk, kiss the ticket on the cheek. Yeah, <laughs> walk down the stairs. Have the ticket waiting for you at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Rogue One ticket, you look beautiful. <laughs> we might get lucky. <laughs> so, speaking of getting lucky. Uh, there was a photo that came out from the newest Rogue One trailer of uh, all the Rebel pilots running. And some maniac somewhere took one of the pilots' helmets and compared it to Porkins' helmet. And pretty much discovered that Porkins is going to be in Rogue One. I've got a problem here. Eject. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. Yeah, because not only does the helmet pretty close... The guy's a little chunky. He's got a little bit of beard going on. He, he looks a little bit like Porkins. <sighs> yeah. The only reason I would think it wouldn't be Porkins if maybe it's Porkins' egg mate. <laughs> 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 and we realized that Porkins had a twin as well. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Beansons, maybe it's his name. First name Baked, Baked Beansons. <laughs> But yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty pumped for some Porkins. I would love. And it made me think too. There's like, I mean, it makes sense. There's got to be some overlap with the uh, Rebel pilots from A New Hope and from this. I mean, they're, it's the same base. It's just days before. Yeah, it's the Yavin dudes. Which that made me think too is the space battle that's going on in Rogue One. I wonder if part of that fleet gets wiped out, and that's why they have such a small. Strike force in A New Hope. Yeah, that would make sense. That it is potentially was a bigger, bigger force before the this mission. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy to think how much this movie butts up against A New Hope. It's crazy. The Death Star plans are not in the main computer. Where are those transmissions you intercepted? What have you done with those plans? We intercepted no transmissions. This is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission. If this is a consular ship, where is the ambassador? Commander, tear this ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers. I want them alive. Yeah, I, I still wonder the you know the last moments of Rogue One if we will see them beaming the plans off to Leia's ship. Yeah, I would think we have to. Or if there's any mention of. 
these plans somehow have to get to General Kenobi, who can take them to Alderaan. I said it before, if they mention General Kenobi in the movie, I'll scream. Ah! You'll hear it in Chicago. Yeah, I'll feel it. <laughs> I'll be mad. I'll be like, I, can't, I can't hear what they're saying because I keep hearing Jason screaming. <laughs> You'll see a, a ghost image of me naked running across the screen. Yeah. Knocking people's popcorn over. Yeah. Oh, the cheese. He said Kenobi. <laughs> Enter a portal of time and space. To, I'm not going to tell you what theater I'm at so your ghost can't find me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to a theater in Indiana or something. His ghost will never find me here. Burger King presents Return of the Jedi Classes. Four new classes from the Star Wars saga. Filled with the adventures of Luke Skywalker. The Ewoks. Han Solo. And Jabba the Hutt. Buy a medium or large Coke. And a different class is yours each week for a special price. Collect all four. Return of the Jedi Glasses. Now appearing only at Burger King. So a few months back, we talked about one of the greatest Star Wars making of movies ever, uh, episode one, the beginning. Um, But also out there, one of my favorites of all time is from 1983, From Star Wars to Jedi. Yeah, another great one. Which I feel like in some ways almost acts as for what the beginning is to the the beginning of the, the prequel films. Yeah. From Star Wars to Jedi is with the original trilogy, kind of. It's it's, well, it's almost it's like the ring theory, right? The, this is the ending. <laughs> it's like the inverse of the beginning, right? Because <laughs> it was after the three films were out, a making of retrospective of the first three films, right? As opposed to the beginning, which is the lead up to the start of three new films. It's one of those things where the documentary is as fun to watch as the films. It's and true. You can just sit and watch it and it's like you're in Star Wars heaven for 60 minutes. It originally aired December 3rd, 1983 on PBS. So it was just about six months or so after Return of the Jedi had come out. It's narrated by Mark Hamill. It's written by a guy, Richard Schickel, who was a film critic for Time Magazine for like 45 years. He's written a ton of books on film and film criticism, and he also wrote the Making of Star Wars documentary and the SPFX documentary, The Making of Empire, which both weirdly are on the Star Wars Blu-ray set, but from Star Wars to Jedi is not. Yeah, it's weird. It was released... On StarWars.com a couple years back, where it's still there. You can still watch it, and it's on YouTube about a thousand times. And there's there's a maniac who made an HD version of it on YouTube. Yeah. I think the guy's name is Ben Phillips. Yeah. Um, he did a really good job. Basically, anytime there is footage from the films, he used HD footage from the... Uh, think the despecialized version so it is actually the correct footage for what they're talking about but it's still the audio from the original making of so it, it does really make it feel like it's hd i mean it's great when they do the video clips yeah it's really amazing we'll post it up on the uh, on the facebook page the- i think even if it's if you watch star from star wars a jedi a million times which i'm sure a lot of you have 
it's worth watching again just to see the HD one, just because it's it's exciting. The first thing I thought when I went back to it, started watching it again, is thanks to Richard Schickel's script, it's really, really fancily written. Way like perhaps way more fancily written than it should have been. Because it's narrated, it, it, um, you know, comparing it to the beginning as well, where the beginning was very raw and it's like people saying what they happen to be saying when they are being filmed. This is more of a traditional documentary with with uh, actual interviews mixed in with Mark Hamill's voiceover, which, yeah, is very <laughs> eloquently written. <laughs> Ten years ago in a galaxy very, very near, George Lucas imagined a world no one else had ever seen. When he placed it on screen in Star Wars in 1977, he asked us to see it through the eyes of a restless and idealistic young man, Luke Skywalker. Three films, Luke would travel to the farthest reaches of his galaxy, seeking adventure and manhood and wisdom. On his long journey to that final confrontation, Luke would take strength and wisdom from a gentle, perfect night. Along his way, he would discover that like everyone else, he contained all the world's possibilities within himself. The dark side of the force as well as the light. Some of my favorites were uh, when Lando comes out, that charming rogue. Join the Brotherhood of the Brave. Lando Calrissian, that charming rogue, joined the Brotherhood of the Brave in The Empire Strikes Back. Hello, what have we here? Um, Mark Hamill does such a good job narrating it. Yeah. Which, surprise, surprise, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to hear. It, it starts out with a great kind of overview of Luke's whole journey through the original trilogy. And man, you know, like watching that again... Hearing Mark Hamill kind of sum up Luke Skywalker's whole journey, it's hard not to get still get pumped up watching that. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, if anything, watching this makes you want to just jump into the original trilogy immediately afterwards. Just watch all of them. Just watch them all. And then watch Making of Star Wars the Jedi again to get pumped up to watch them again. <laughs> just <laughs> Until you just pass out. Um, so it cuts. It, it, then it cuts right to um, footage of Lucas filming in Tunisia in 1975, and then it kind of darts around, talks about Irvin Kershner, and goes right up to Return of the Jedi. And one thing I thought was interesting is right away you see how hands-on George Lucas was with Return of the Jedi. There's a lot of great uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with him just interacting with the ILM IL- guys um, and some of the footage of him in the editing room. Yeah, actually, I, I really like the part where he's explaining the uh, the whole rancor scene. He's doing the slurping thing. George and his he, staff study temporary shots in the editing room. Roar, and he's maybe looking at Luke, and then he turns. This footage will guide the, the making of the final scene. Mm-hmm. All right, now here is the shot that has to be done with taste. Taking it like here, where we got the pig guard right in there, and the mouth just starts to come down on it. And then we cut away. What I want him to do is turn around and look at Luke. And then, as he's looking, you know, the, the hand is sort of dangling out his own. And the, you know, he's gobbled, he was chewing as he turns. And he, you know, slurps it up, gobbles it up, and the hand disappears. Then it's, yeah, you know, it's just beginning. Yeah. And then when you watch, you watch the, the scene in the movie, it's like, yeah, that's all there. 
So there's one highlight of this, the whole documentary, is there's a ton of really great 1983 George Lucas interviews. But first of all, we should get out of the way how amazing George Lucas looks in this. Yeah, he's he's at his most dashing. Yeah, we. I think it's we, like it's it's his Lando Calrissian phase. So, first of all, his hair is huge and thick. I can't even understand what's going on with his hair in this documentary. <laughs> Maybe that's where uh, we were trying to figure out where uh, Ezra's. What Hedra's hair is doing now in Rebels, and maybe it's inspired by George Lucas's like solid block of hair. <laughs> it's like kind of long in the back. He's kind of like trying to cover up his ears a little bit. His beard is really, really thick and big. Yeah, with just a little bit of gray. Yeah, He's got the, the Wolfman Jack thing going a little bit, and his shirt is unbuttoned quite a bit. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. If he made a uh, like dating video at the time, he probably filmed that while he had the film crew there. <laughs> it's like when you guys are done with the interview, can you uh, film a profile for my dating site? <laughs> Hello, my name is George. I'm interested in history and anthropology. And I like fast cars. <laughs> yeah, he just looks super smooth, super slick. <laughs> He's chilling out on a couch. Just relaxing, yeah. Well, which is crazy because this is after he got divorced. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is like, you know, this is like, it probably is. It's like, you know what? Yeah, he's divorced now. He's looking for ladies. This is like Temple of Doom era. Battle yeah. for Endor, Temple of Doom. This is, the, this is the dark years. He wasn't dating What's-Her-Face yet, was he? Linda Ronstadt? Yeah. Well, when we do the George Lucas Love Life episode, we'll dig into deep to that. But I don't know the timeline of his of his mysterious Linda Ronstadt relationship. Maybe this is like Linda, Linda Ronstadt cleaned him up look. Maybe she, she was. Wanted, yeah. She wanted him to, you know, she wanted some disco Lucas. <laughs> She's like, I like seeing that little puffed of Lucas chest hair. Unbutton that shirt a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I just hope I don't get cold. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one thing Lucas was talking about is how much he kind of likes this world that he created, kind of like how in Empire and Jedi he was felt like he was given the opportunity to kind of run around in it more, which also that made me think about Clone Wars kind of again, where in that especially he had like the most freedom to really run around that galaxy. Yeah, and it makes sense why at first it seemed like he wasn't planning on being as involved in Clone Wars. And once he kind of jumps back into that universe, he just he can't stay away. Yeah, which is makes sense also with some of the stuff he was saying about Force Awakens. Like, he can't just casually be involved in a Star Wars movie. They looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So... I said, all I wanted to do was tell a story of what happened. You know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. I mean, ultimately. I mean, space, we call it space opera, but it, people don't realize it's actually a soap opera. Yeah. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So 
they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing, and so I decided, fine. But basically, I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway, but at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble because they're not going to do what I want them to do. So and I don't have the control to do that anymore, and all I would do is muck everything up. It's cool that he's so invested. You know, people think he just phoned in the prequels or really wasn't invested, but I think, you know, like him or not, he they are what he wanted them to be because he just gets sucked into that universe. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to work on something you don't like for 10 years. You know, (laughs) (laughs) most people don't do that if they have the option not to. And if anyone has the option of doing whatever they want, it's George Lucas. Right. Um, So there's a ton in this, there's a ton of stuff in this documentary of just priceless return of the Jedi creature shot footage. Yeah. All the stuff with, Size Noodles and Max Rebo. Yeah. Just showing how the puppets work. Uh, there's tons of great footage of uh, Phil Tippett. If you ever wanted to see Phil Tippett with his shirt off, yeah, and I, this is where you can see it. I was thinking, too, where's all the uncut raw footage of this? Of just the creature uh, shot. Man, I know. I think about that all the time of how much footage there had to be for them to edit down this stuff. And does that footage still exist? I mean, it's like... Later on, when they show the um, how they're doing the animatics for the speeder bike chase, like there's got to be just tons and tons of that footage, yeah, somewhere. I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch all of it. It's you know, it's the same thing as the beginning. I want to watch all the uncut raw footage of that. There's a lot of stuff, like we were saying, with nice noodles, or as Mark Hamill calls them, one part Miss Nudie. George made frequent visits to check on the progress of the creatures as they were being developed. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's like a... Uh, it's way to open the yeah, it's, like he's, it's coming down to the, one of the more amusing things will be to have this... have a vocalist. How about Snooty? So we can have Herbie the singer. Sure. Yeah, it'd be great. She's got such a tiny little mouth. <laughs> She's going to sing lyrics. We're going to have to articulate her mouth. Well, yeah, it would have to be a... What it means is we'd have to figure out a way of opening the mouth and, and making it at least open and close. thing is, it doesn't have to be articulate. All it has to do is be able to open and close. It's a binary system, which goes like this, 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 wow, this, 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 this. And that gives us some room to yeah. come up with some lyrics and make a song. With, like, like literally we watch... The, the whole birth, the creation of Snice Noodles and how she got to be the fabulous lead singer of the Max Rebo band. Uh, and then they're all like, man, how are we going to make that work? Yeah. There's a lot of wacky stuff with, uh, with Salacious Crumb, with Tim Rose, the Akbar puppeteer, doing a really great voice for Salacious Crumb. I wish Salacious Crumb actually talked like that in the movie. Hey, did you hear that? We're going to England. <laughs> Hey, did everybody go to lunch? What's going on here? Hey. Hello in TV land. (laughs) Hey, Edgar. What'd you bring me to a place like this for? Look at all these freaks around here. It's really disgusting. 
That one over there, I don't even know what it is. Can't tell what's the head and what's the tail. And that Jabba guy, old Big J as we call him around here, well, he's the worst of all. Maybe he, you know, when the camera wasn't on him, that's how he talked. Where's the Salacious Crumb commentary track for Jedi? Oh, for every movie ever. The Salacious Crumb commentary channel. <laughs> it's whatever's on, he'll talk about it. <laughs> Yentl with Barbara Streisand. Yeah, commentary <laughs> by Slice Noodles. <laughs> and Salacious Crumb. Slice Noodles and oh, Salacious yeah, Crumb. Salacious Crumb, right, sorry. Slice Noodles well, just, she sings the commentary. Which also, speaking of Snice Will singing, you get to hear the very rare Lopty Neck with English. Okay, ready? Miss Snooty's basic movements were provided by puppeteer Tim Rose, working below her stage. His legs were connected to hers by rods, so she could duplicate his steps precisely. Her microphone was also controlled from below stage, also by a rod. This, in turn, controlled movement of Snooty's snoot, which was connected to the mic by a wire that would be invisible in the final film. More wires connect Snooty's upper body with another operator who works her as if she were a giant marionette. Her song was written in English but translated into Hatiz, Java's official court language. And then they, they start to get into the creation of Jabba the Hutt, which is all fascinating. And, like, the one thing I was struck with in the beginning was just how kind of the early days of ILM, just kind of how do-it-yourself and making it up as they go it was. Because, like, they show, like, the rough kind of model for Jabba, and they got two G.I. Joe dolls sitting in there. Yeah, for where, scale. For where the poor people that have to sit inside Jabba would go. It should be mentioned real quick that before they get into how Jabba the Hutt worked and how he, how, how it all happened, there is a brief bit where you get to see the human Jabba footage. And I think this is the first time we ever got to see that, right? The legend of human Jabba. Because, the, yeah, this that blew my mind. It still blows my mind to this day, the human Jabba. Uh, so I came up with the idea of shooting the scene with a man. And eventually, I would mat in a stop-motion creature over the man. Tolo! This is the scene George shot for Star Wars, but decided not to finish. Solo! Right here, Java. I've been waiting for you. Have you not? You didn't think I was going to run, did you? Ah, my boy. There are times you disappoint me. Why haven't you paid me? Why did you have to fry poor Greedo like that? After all, we've been through together. Look, Chapa, next time you want to talk to me, come see me yourself. Don't send one of these twerps. Han, Han, understand. I just can't afford to make exceptions. I, when Lucas is talking about how they want to do, like, put a stop-motion character over human Jabba, I was like, man, what in the world in 1977 would that have looked like? I, yeah, because I can't, I don't, it doesn't seem like they got to the point where they tried to do it and it didn't work. They just realized that that wasn't even worth trying. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's like where, you know, the people who are making their own special editions or whatever, it's like, I want someone to go and try to make a stop motion creature and superimpose it over that. I want someone to take Return of the Jedi and put human Java in Return of the Jedi. 
instead of Jabba the Hutt. Why haven't you paid me? Tell that to Kanja Club. Well, would, would he just be sitting on a throne or would he be like laying down? He'd, he'd be laying down. On the, on the, he'd be laying down too? Yeah. Nude? Yes. <laughs> just eating frogs? Yes. Your mind trick won't work on me. <laughs> I like Captain Cholo right where he is. Yeah. It's time. <laughs> it's time. You maniacs out there making your own special editions, it's time for the Human Java special edition. Yeah. The technology has caught up to the dream. <laughs> Then they cut to the people inside Jabba, and oh man, those poor people. If you're claustrophobic at all, don't work for ILM. Gabe, I couldn't help thinking, and I'm sure it happened, what if somebody farted inside the Jabba? That's probably one of the reasons that guy was smoking the cigar. (laughs) (laughs) It it was like, someone was like, can Jabba smoke? Because at least if it smells like cigar in here, it won't smell like farts. <laughs> I love Cigar Guy. I smoke from this cigars for Jabba. When he smokes his pipe, I blow it up the tube and it trickles out of the corner of his mouth. If I was drinking port, it would be a perfect job. He's so cool, so sophisticated. Yeah. I also really love the backwards and forwards guy. Yeah, that little person... Is, is legendary for the backwards and forwards part. He took his job so seriously. The way I move it depends on the mood he's in at the time. If he's in a, a, a bit of an irritable mood, I just do the little flips like you'd bang your fingers if you was losing your temper or impatient. Or if he's really losing his temper, give it a good old thrash on like that, or backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And if he's in a lazy mood, you just keep it like that, nice, steady movements where's he at conventions i don't know he should be at conventions they should have the whole job of team together you know and i was thinking too like we've talked about before on blast points but the uh the secrets of the most Eisley cantina can uh panel at celebration and how good that was but i would really love a secrets of Jabba's palace or just in-depth all the creatures of Jabba's palace panel well, because the part in this where they talk about, what did Mark Hamill say? There was 80 creatures in Jabba's palace? Or yeah. 60? Yeah. There's he, a lot of creatures. He was saying whatever number he said, which I can't remember either. I was like trying to rattle off in my head like, okay, uh, there's a, 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 wait a minute. You know, like, I can't think of even like visually 60. I mean, does the giant. I, mean, I don't know that there's even, they've all been named at this point. There's got to be some little ones in the background that we probably can't even see. Yeah. <laughs> Also, in From Star Wars a Jedi, you get great footage of Jabba speaking English. And action! You will bring Captain Solo and the Wookiee to me. Your mind powers will not work on me, boy. Boy! Your mind powers won't work. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that, but yeah, whatever the aliens are just the onset English dialogue is always f- fun to hear. Um, so then we kind of cut right to the uh, the sail barge. In Arizona, George Lucas a stately pleasure barge decreed. It was probably the biggest set ever built for a movie location. It was to be the site of our final showdown with that vile gangster, Jabba the Hutt. 
it's like we, there's one part where the camera it's like a it's like a helicopter shot and they show the back of the sail barge and it's yeah. lud- ludicrous like how much was built just for people to get onto that sail barge set yeah they kind of pan by two and you see everybody walking up all the multiple floors just to get up to the ship it's insane and i think these are the kind of things where it's like as viewers the fact that it's they built it is really cool and on screen it's really cool but i think you if you kind of get into George Lucas's head, you can see why with the prequels he tried to do more digital. Right. When you think about just how expensive that was, how much time it took, just how tedious it was just to build all that stuff, and then ultimately throw it in the trash. Right, yeah, tear it all down. Um, th- there's a bunch of stuff with George, fascinating stuff with him talking about the Star Wars style, where I really like this part in the documentary where they, they've gone in depth about some of the nitty gritty of like the creature shop and kind of the insane sets they build. But then it really goes into George Lucas talking about this, what is the Star Wars style? And I don't think in any interview, I feel like before or after he explains it as well as he does in this documentary. I've always been fascinated in speed because of uh, my interest in cars and racing. And uh, since I enjoy that, I enjoy the sensation of racing along at high speed. In the end, it's just each film is a new challenge in trying to explore the idea of uh, telling a story cinematically and giving less and less exposition and uh, having the the pace be such that you can have impressions of images thrown on top of each other without um, and, and get a whole new sense of a story or a, a feeling. It's unfortunate, and I, I worry as he's getting older and not involved in Star Wars 2 that I feel like there's a lot of information and just ideas of what he thinks is Star Wars that we may never hear because he's not really doing interviews and talking about the style and the, you know, he's kind of leaving it up to other people, I guess, to see what they get from the movies. But it would be great to have another, you know, one more interview of him really just talking about the six movies. When he was talking about that, it made me just so kind of thankful that Filoni still exists in the position that he's in because he really gets that Star Wars style. And I feel like J.J. really did in The Force Awakens, like, the faster, more intense was there, and Filoni really supports that. Like Rebels episodes move very, very, very quickly. That's true. And then, as far as you know, more than anyone probably on the planet too, Filoni got the time to just pick George Lucas's brain for ten years. So a lot of those little details that maybe never got in interviews are at least in his head. So they're still at uh, Lucasfilm. There's a lot going on in there thematically and, and idea-wise, both on the mythological level and the sort of basic human psych- psychological level, and on uh, dealing with certain problems that face our society and, and say, thematic in terms of, of man-machine relationships. Sir, it will take quite a while to evacuate the T-47s. I've noticed as I continue to experiment to see if I can get things how fast I can get things before they're incomprehensible, uh, that uh, it sort of coincides with my personal life as my personal life as I've become more and more successful and the hectic pace of my life has sped up. Uh, it seems that the films have sped up too. So then Lucas starts talking about uh, Jedi's fastest scene 
the the speeder bike, which like we mentioned earlier, but this is one of the greatest parts of anything ever made ever with the speeder bike test footage, the animatics with 12 inch Star Wars action figures. Okay, and action, go. Jedi's fastest scene began slow and small. These videotapes of the models in action were made months before principal photography began. They guided creation of the final sequence at every stage of its development. Another thing that just blew my mind watching this as a youngster, because it's just cool on so many levels. I mean, it's cool that that's how they made that sequence so good, and it's just cool to see them playing with the toys. Yeah. You know, it's just, and like we said, I can't think of anyone who wouldn't want to just watch an hour of that, you know, because I'd love to see all the raw footage or other edits or the whole sequence with the toys. Like they must have had tons of different, you know, versions and takes because that's the whole point of doing the animatics is doing all that editing and figuring that all out when it's cheap and, and fast. Yeah, it's Joe Johnston and Dennis Murin, and they've got like a book of the storyboards. And I got the sense that they're just really making it up as they go along. Maybe a real, what about a real close one on that bike? Or like really close. Yeah. But all you see is this big thing dropping behind him and it's Luke. Instead of trying to even play, you okay. know, like almost as, like even closer to that. Like that. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Pull next to that guy. The editors spoke temporary dialogue for the animatic tapes, which were constantly consulted as the scene came together. really kind of set the the tone for what the prequels like um the animatic department was huge for um i think specifically i mean i'm sure phantom menace had some too but i think with attack of the clones they really started to go nuts with having the uh cg animatic team just making up shots and things and a lot and those all got edited down to be the big battle at the end Mm mm-hmm and that kind of all started here with the toys um, for the speeder bike chase and Return of the Jedi. I mean, now and now every movie basically has some animatic team just doing fast, dirty 3D stuff to to work all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. It's uh, also you get to see Boba, the twelve inch Boba Fett riding a speeder bike. Yes, yeah. the stuff of dreams. Yeah. What the? Ah! I think the thing with this that I I actually didn't really appreciate till this last time watching it too is the part when george is talking about how the speeder bike chase is more intense than the trench battle because it's more realistic because it's trees and things that you recognize but the fact that because the trees are there and there's things that you can crash into it makes it more exciting and more intense Mm -hmm. Um, and it never really dawned on me that 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 idea carries over to the death star battle as well where when they're flying over the surface of death star 2 there's all the towers and things sticking up kind of mirroring the forest well the bike chase seems faster I mean, it's traveling along at a great amount of speed but at the same time uh it's more realistic than say the trench battle in the first film uh the trench battle is fairly clean uh you're speeding along it's a fairly abstract graphic that's coming at you there are uh laser bolts and things going around you but it uh, takes place in outer space. It's in an environment that you don't understand. The What makes the speeder bike chase seem faster and work better is the fact that you're in a real forest and there are trees that you could crash into. 
that element, just the, it's again, it's a it's a dramatic element, it's a plot element. It's the trench, only we've put some obstacles in there that you might hit. And once you do that, it becomes infinitely more dramatic. You can see Lucas still perfecting that idea with the pod race and the chase through Coruscant in episode two. Mm-hmm. It's all riffing on the same kind of idea and each one, him pushing it. Well, how can I push this even further and further and further? And speaking of like, so then move right from there to talking about Yoda and it's really interesting, like, the way Lucas talks about the early days of Yoda, he sounds exactly the way he's talking about the CG characters in the beginning. Could I take a main character in a movie and use a little rubber puppet? And would that, I mean, is it going to happen or is it just going to be a disaster? And, uh, and right up until the moment where he was on film and talking, it looked like it was going to be a disaster. You know, little hints. Well, it looks pretty good. And Frank can do some really funny things, and that sort of seems to work. And is it going to happen? But then when it goes onto the screen, it's magic. Yeah, where he doesn't, he wants to believe it's going to work, but he's so kind of pessimistic. Yeah. That, that until it actually works, he really has not a lot of faith that it's going to work. Which I think, I mean, seems to be that's his personality. Yeah, and his idea of taking the kind of alien characters that he has in his head to the next level and him constantly fighting the technology to get there or pushing the technology more than fighting it. Right. Like when he's talking about, you know, Yoda, Yoda worked, but the limitations were still so great that he couldn't walk more than six feet. You couldn't show his legs, all that sort of thing where it's like, he gets a little bit of relief, like, Oh, this is going to work. But, then the limitations kind of set in. <laughs> oh, so after that, there's a, there's a little bit on Ben Burt in there, which I feel like that's one thing, like they could have gone more in depth with Ben Burt, but I guess they only had an hour to do the show, but it's a great part where it's Ben Burt and John Williams. Yeah. Sitting, I think that's my favorite part in the whole thing. It's like sitting down and Ben Burt is basically explaining his very particular brand of insanity to John Williams. And John Williams is looking at him like he is nuts, but he's just eating it up too, though. Like I felt like watching that. What's so great is you basically have one of the best film composers, probably of all time talking to probably one of the best audio designers of all time. And they seem to both kind of think each other's crazy, maybe, but they both seem to really respect and appreciate each other, too. So it's just kind of cool to see them just chit-chatting about, and they're chit-chatting about crazy stuff, like alien languages and, and Ewoks. Yeah, like John Williams being like, uh, would you would you play it backwards, baby? Would you do, is it a backwards thing? And Ben Burt's like, no, if you play it backwards, everybody knows it's backwards, you know? like. Also, if the voice is going to be sped up a little bit or raised in pitch the way these have been, if you start with, an, I say, an average human voice, mine or Jim Bloom, and you raise it in pitch, it tends to sound a little like Chip and Dale. But it's it's easier to get a foreign language and to have someone speak it and make it come across as a real language than just to make one up. Because when you make one up, it tends to sound like English, just rearranged. Pig Latin. Right. Yeah. It tends to be Pig Latin. So what we've done in the past is really just take interesting words and use them. Sometimes, sometimes mix Swahili with... Uh, Chinese or something. I mean, there's, there's no attempt to make it literal. Backwards sometimes. Backwards is a limited thing because things are generally can be identified as backwards. Way, These are voices that we've recorded and stuff, and uh, it, as if they were just, 
you're in the forest and you suddenly go into the Ewok village and you're just trucking through it and you hear what they're doing. Yeah, it's great. He's like, check this out. This is what it'd be like walking around the Ewok village and he's just playing. Yeah, like there's not enough stuff with Ben Burt. I can't say enough good things about Ben Burt that he's just fascinating to, to watch and listen to and look at and look at he's a crazy guy so i hope somewhere there's a someone who builds a ben burt statue <laughs> he talks about like but it's a statue that you can only hear you can't see it <laughs> that should be at skywalker ranch yeah just speakers that play a ben burt statue yeah just the headphones you put them on So then there's more behind-the-scenes stuff with Return of the Jedi, with Harrison Ford being very bossy, and Lucas being very bossy with Richard Marquand, which that's a really great part where there's a really great part with Lucas explaining Ewoks. You gotta be nice to the little bunny on the side of the road. Right, if you're nice to the bunny, they turn out to have magic or whatever, and they give you something that helps you defeat the uh, dragon at the end kind of thing. Right, which it's been talked about before by a lot of different people, but it's basically, it's the same concept as Jar Jar. Like that Qui-Gon was smart enough to know that Jar Jar would help them in a way, even though Qui-Gon was so good, he knew what was up. You got to respect everybody. Yeah. You sort of realize that these would be good allies. Uh-huh. So what you're going to do is make them allies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you're just going to sort of play along, right. wait until your moment, and then you're going to... It's very telling that I let them take my weapons. Yeah. It, it, there's a moment there where I could either strike out or, or you could kill relax. Them well, you got yeah. a sense yeah. of the future. you got yeah. a sense yeah. of the fact that it's these little funny teddy bears that could destroy the empire. Yeah. You know, it's always in a fairy tale. Yeah. It's oh. always being nice to the little bunny rabbit on the side of the road that gives you the magic that makes you go and become uh-huh. a princess from the evil witch. Pretty much the the rest of from Star Wars the Jedi is a lot of fantastic hair of Lucas talking where he starts talking about the Ewoks and things get real heavy where he starts talking about Vietnam, which yep. I wonder like I was wondering like when I was a little kid and he starts talking about Vietnam and the Ewoks, how much of that was sinking in for me? <laughs> Probably not much. Yeah. The Ewok battle uh, was one of the main uh, inspirations for the whole project when I first started Star Wars, and it evolved out of my interest in a project I'd been working on uh, at the time about the Vietnam War. And uh, one of the more fascinating aspects of that project was the human spirit, the human element, uh, being able to withstand an onslaught of of uh, uh, high technology and and how the high technology had failed Lucas talks about um, special effects and some of the, he's using some of the exact same quotes he used 15 years later talking about the prequels with you know painting and having more colors to use. And how ILM's kind of just building off of what they had done in the past. Yeah. When we finally get to kind of the end of Jedi, 
there's a really interesting part where they're talking about the the you know the never part where that wasn't even in Luke the original script how it was just kind of blocked out where Vader says something makes Luke mad and they fight yeah that I was always fascinated to me because it seemed like such an obvious solution and it's it's fun to hear that you know with all the people they had there trying to make this movie that sometimes the obvious solution is hard to find after Darth Vader has been this become been thrust into this huge persona that I never expected to have happen uh, do I still take the mask off and have him be this funny little man well again my I sort of came to the decision of that was the original story that's the way it should be and if the public can't deal with it then what can I do about it this, you can see he kind of doubled down on that with the prequels he, he was going to make the movie he wanted to make and didn't care if people liked it or not yeah and he says uh, that the movies are about human frailties not monsters yeah which is kind of true it is and and I feel like that's something that Kathy Kennedy and the the new regime, I feel like that's something that they get really well. Yeah. But you gotta have the monsters too. You gotta have you gotta have more off and pow and <laughs> yeah. And it's you know, in the end, it's really kind of interesting because this is George Lucas in nineteen eighty three, the original trilogy had just ended, and he's talking about how there'll always be the desire for him to go home again because he feels at home in the Star Wars universe. I think what happens in a project when you're with it and with the characters is, which is what happened to me in the first one, sort of led me along this course, is you fall in love with the characters and you fall in love with the environment. It's like a home. You feel very comfortable making up things that happen in there. It becomes your own little fantasy land, I think. And The reality is, is I love that world. I mean, there are friends there. It's like a home. I have a home there. And uh, so there's always going to be a desire on my part to uh, go home again or to be with my friends again. He made himself more of a home so much over the course of the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars. And... uh, and yeah, and it's kind of sad watching it now because be like you you get the sense in this documentary more than almost any other Star Wars documentary, just how much George Lucas loves and cares the the Star Wars universe, his galaxy yeah. he created. Yeah, that it is actually, it's not just a means to make money and make toys. That it is actually something personal, and it's a creation that he he spent most of his life working on. Yeah. Most likely because he enjoys it and or just feels drawn to it and not because it's someone forced him to. I mean, I couldn't help thinking of uh, his comments when The Force Awakens came out and how bitter he was. And then with the fact that he visited the Rogue One set, that in time he'd kind of relaxed a little bit. Yeah, because, you know, I don't think, I think the times he'd said he was looking forward to enjoying Star Wars as a fan, I think he was being sincere that there's a part of him that's probably really enjoying seeing new star wars stuff that he didn't have to stress out over creating it and he can just show up and look at the creatures and enjoy the story and just yeah. be a fan like everybody else 
and complain about the movies just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would love to see him direct just like a standalone movie. Or even an episode of Rebels. Yeah. How fascinating would that be? Like, I don't see, yeah, why, why wouldn't that happen? Yeah. Just have him come in and write and direct an episode of Rebels. Yeah, can you imagine? That would be awesome. <laughs> the secret, ultimately, which is the bottom line of Star Wars and the other movies, is there are two kinds of people in the world. Compassionate people and selfish people. The selfish people live on the dark side. The compassionate people live on the light side. And if you... And if you go to the side of light, you will be happy. Because compassion, helping other people, not thinking about yourself, thinking about others, that gives you a joy that you can't get any other way. Being selfish, following your pleasures, always entertaining yourself with pleasure and buying things and doing stuff, you're always going to be unhappy. You'll never get to the point. You'll get this little instant shot of pleasure, but it goes away, and then you're stuck where you were before. And the more you do it, the worse it gets. You finally get everything you want, and you're miserable because there's, no, there's nothing at the end of that road. Whereas if you are compassionate and you get to the end of the road, you've helped so many people I mean, you know, some of the speakers have gotten up here. When you think about the thousands of people you may have helped, you may have stopped from suffering or anything, that gives you a, a very warm feeling. Anyway, I've gone way over my time, but thank you very much. Um, so, Gabe, we have a uh, we have a question uh, that was sent to us on Twitter here. And it's a good. It's, oh, okay. it's pretty interesting. This is from Mitch Harper, and he writes: Is there enough content available to support a Star Wars channel? I'm thinking a similar model to what the WWE has, and if so, would you subscribe to this channel? So I really started thinking about this after he wrote this, and I was like, it kind of ties into what we were talking about, like. Imagine like what WWE has where it's an entire history of everything that's ever happened. So you could have all the movies, all the Clone Wars, all Rebels, all the trailers, like all like what if they just like, hey, here's four hours of uncut ILM footage from 1983. Oh, I would watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Or there were all those webisodes for all the prequel films, all that video stuff they posted on hyperspace back in the early 2000s. That's true. Yeah, that I could see that. I mean, if anything, that is a good point of, because we always talk about like, when are they going to release all the, that type of stuff? And that kind of makes more sense as a way to release some of that stuff than a thousand dollar box set with, you know, 20 Blu-ray discs. Because one of the things I think the WWE channel does too is they'll make like little shows where they interview people and show some old footage from matches and things. And I, they're kind of Star Wars doing that with the Star Wars show that right. I could see them having, you know, almost like VH1 type show where it's like, hey, we're going to look at behind the scenes for Empire Strikes Back this week and show stuff they've never shown before. Yeah, totally. Or um, it could even be a place to watch. The Star Wars show, or all the backlogs of that, or all the Rebels recons, or 
even the yeah. Gendy Clone Wars episodes. They could throw those on there. Technically, YouTube is that right now, but it would be nice. I think people would be potentially willing to pay for something that was higher quality than YouTube. Sure. I mean, yeah, e- why not? Even the Ewoks cartoons. Ugh. Yeah. But it would be maybe I'd watch them again if they were cleaned up. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, to answer your question, I, I think we already answered it. Would we subscribe to this channel? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. I well, think if anything, actually, it's almost like what hyperspace kind of was for the prequels, too, where, you know, you paid a monthly fee and you got access to all this cool behind the scenes stuff. Oh, yeah. And I had no problems paying for hyperspace. Yeah. I was sad when it ended. I was like, it's just getting good. Why are you ending it now? I can watch webcam video of people making Wookiee costumes for the rest of my life. I feel like that's something that people don't remember that hyperspace existed, number one. But number two, it was an event where it's like, hey, the webcam's on and you can watch them build the sets for episode three for six hours. And we did it. Yeah. I sat and watched people combing Wookiee fur for hours. And I don't regret Just hoping it. you never knew what was going to move by in the background. Maybe you'd see a whole, yeah, a whole Wookiee. Maybe you'd see something I'd see you like, weren't supposed to. I'd see like John Knoll wander past outside a door frame and I'd like dance around my apartment in 2001. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> so Gabe, we have one new iTunes review. Hey. Uh, yeah. This one is from Hugo the Ball. That's one. Okay. All right. And he writes top nut. It's titled Top Notch Stuff. Never have I had so much fun listening to people talk about Star Wars. These guys are the truth. Never never a dull moment, awesome sound bites, and great topics. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Hugo the Ball. Thank you. 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 Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. So you should leave us a review on iTunes once you're done listening to this show. Head over to iTunes. We have a five-star review. Write something, and we'll read it on an upcoming show. And it uh, not only is it fun to read reviews on the show, it also helps the show out quite a bit. It helps more people find the show the more reviews we get. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Uh, there's Blast Points on Twitter. There's Blast Points on Facebook. You should like our Facebook page so you can find out all about uh, new episodes coming out and what's going on and stuff like that. And we're also on Instagram. And you can re- I do re- uh, reviews of Rebels every single week over on DoomRocket.com so you can read those up. And that's about it. We'll be back next week with another episode. A very uh, a hot debate episode is all the tease. 
Yeah. You'll, you'll have to rethink your life. Yeah. Like a death stick. <laughs> you'll go home and rethink your life after that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do I listen to this? Why am I even listening to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> All the things yeah. I could be doing. Um, yeah. But no, 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 no. Keep listening. Keep listening. It'll be good. Sorry, on behalf of Blast Points, episode number 46. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. as the Star Wars world is, uh, sooner or later you have to leave home and go on to some other place.